Introducing Hashtag Matter, a brand new eight-episode scripted podcast. I'm Colleen Sanders, and we're here live from the Los Angeles Valley. Chase, air on you see how they do us? Leaving one officer dead and the second officer wounded. This case presented a lot of challenges from the start. From Shondaland Audio, in partnership with iHeartRadio, I'm author and journalist Kate Bell, and this is Hashtag Matter. Listen to Hashtag Matter on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Allie Wentworth, host of Go Ask Allie. My listeners want more, so we are digging in. Comedian Amy Schumer. As far as cancel culture goes, I think that the people who are the most afraid and complaining about cancel culture are the ones who are in danger of being canceled and they need to take a look at themselves. I agree with you. You know, I'm not worried about it because I know my intentions and I know that I'm like open to evolving. Listen to Go Ask Allie every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jess Wiener, host of Dominant Stories, the podcast that helps us reclaim and rewrite the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Our feelings are like a compass. They tell us what direction to go in. And if we don't pay attention to them, it's like walking around with a faulty GPS. You have no idea where you're going. Our guests include composer Alex Lockamore of Hamilton, the incredible musician Sarah Bareilles, actor Rachel Bloom from My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and the celebrated poet Azure Antoinette. I didn't like my body in the first place. When I got the diagnosis, it just pissed me off even more. And I was like, you've always let me down. Hear from your favorite celebrities, storytellers, and experts about what's shaping them. Listen to Dominant Stories with me, Jess Wiener, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While we all desperately ached for escapism, Bridgerton, the Shondaland smash on Netflix, came streaming along. Now we wait for season two. But in the meantime, you can hear how this show came to life with the cast, the production team, and the creators of Bridgerton, Listen to Bridgerton, the official podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your favorite shows. Welcome to Katie's Crib, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. I was really a push away from a C-section. I mean, really. And I did feel the tearing, and I... Literally asked the doctor after the baby was born if my if my clit ripped in half, and she was like, she <laughs> was like, Jenny, no, like it was like. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Katie's crib. I've got no intro for the guest of today's episode, except for her name, and that I love her. I adore her. We were on our pregnancy journey together, and we'd known each other a little bit beforehand. And then I wound up finding her in our Zoom pandemic prenatal yoga class. Here she is, folks, Jenny Slate. 
We talk about everything, guys, her pregnancy, her labor experience, her identity shift, becoming a mom. She gave birth to her daughter, Ida, at the very end of 2020. She's married to the wonderful art curator, Ben Shattuck, and they got married in their living room on New Year's Eve. She is an actress, comedian, and New York Times bestselling author known for her starring role in Obvious Child. She's also the co-creator and voice of Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, the widely popular online short film from 2010. Jenny's major starring film credits include Fox Searchlights Gifted, Amazon Studios' I Want You Back, and Netflix's Poka King. Her major voice credits include Disney's Muppet Babies, Fox's Bob's Burgers, and Netflix's Big Mouth. Jenny is also in Zootopia, and so am I. I play the Honey Badger Doctor, and Jenny is Assistant Mayor Bellwether. And at the time of this recording, we talked a little bit about her most recent film, which is out now. So check out Jenny in A24's feature-length film adaptation of Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, now in theaters. Welcome to Katie's Crib, Jenny. Is that your born name? Is that the name you were born with? Yeah, Jenny Sarah Slate. It's just Jenny, no, not Jennifer. And my middle name is Sarah with an H. And I'm named after my great-grandmother, whose real name was Jenny, but she didn't know that until she was an adult and got her birth certificate. So did she think her name was Jennifer her whole life? No, sorry. Right. Uh, no, she thought that her <laughs> name was Sophia or Sophie, because I guess her her mother died when she was really young, and uh, her mother named her Jenny, and then her father remarried and apparently thought that Jenny was like an inelegant, like, name. Oh, so she was like, no, 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 yeah. we're not calling her that. And they so they called her Sophie or Sophia. And then when she went to get married, it was the first time she had ever seen her birth certificate, and she saw that her real name was Jenny. Oh, my. And, you know, I'm just a Katie. Oh, you are? I didn't know that. Yeah, just a Katie, no Catherine, no Kathleen, nothing of the sort. So Jenny Slate has a daughter. You gave birth to your daughter. 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 That's what I say. (laughs) I live in Massachusetts. I do say daughter. Your daughter, Mm -hmm. Ida, in early 2021. And you were right after me in the Zoom prenatal yoga class because I had Vera in November of 2020 and Ida was born in... January of 2021? She was born in December. She was born um, December 22nd. It was like the eve of the Great Conjunction, astrologically. Whoa! So one month after me, exactly. So is she a... So she's not a Sagittarius. She is a Aquarius? I think she's a Capricorn. Wouldn't that be right? Oh, Guys, I don't know. I'm excelling at this podcast. I, I'm episode. pretty sure she's okay. a Capricorn. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think, I think she she's is. a Capricorn. And coming back, bringing it full circle to names, Ida, yeah. where is this gorgeous name from? I'm obsessed with it. You know, I, I, it's I D A. Uh, it's an old name that lots of old Jewish ladies are named. Uh, we just both. Really liked it. And originally, we were going to name her Inga. Um, I don't know. Like, an I name is so... It's not after anyone in our family, which is kind of a... In a way, like, I wanted to name her an L name after my grandfather, Lester, who um, was central, central in my life and in my heart still, in my childhood. And um, so there were, like, a lot of L names. And we both just somehow like stumbled into this like I. That's a nice thing, and we I love the illustrator Inga Moore. She mm-hmm. 
She's also a children's book author, but yeah. she, there's a beautiful edition of The Wind in the Willows that she illustrated. And um, I kind of actually find that my husband and I base a lot of our um, like home decor choices off of her drawings because they're just so cozy and filled with um, kind of like traditional prints. Um, but anyway, we thought like Inga, Inga, and then suddenly the name Ida both kind of like floated into both of our minds. And then there was this, this is like the crappy part of the story, but there was, um, for fun, we, we got this like name chooser app called Kinder. Have you heard of it? No. Oh my gosh. Moms who are listening, there's a name app called Kinder. Okay. Good to know. I'm not, I, well, it definitely existed when I was pregnant, but I didn't use it. It's like the same format as Tinder, but uh, I have never been on Tinder. Uh, and uh, like you and your partner both get on. And then when each of you swipes, what is a yes on Tinder, right? I think it's left? like a swipe right. Swipe right? Whatever. Swipe so you left. swipe, you, when you both swipe the same way, same way, same direction on a, on a name, then that goes into your list of common agreed upon names. And we both swiped on Ida. And then there was like some other ones that like we completely did not, like I was like, Wanda, like I really wanted, I thought Wanda would have been cool. We had a bunch of different uh, things that did not match up, but um, Ida was there and it reminds me of like a strong, tall, like brass candlestick with like a flame. It just like is a big, strong name to me. It is so strong. And I love, I feel like you and I are in a similar, because I named my daughter Vera. Yeah. I just feel like there's like a lot of like older women names coming back around. So my mom's name is Barbara. She just has to wait. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel like our daughters <laughs> may name their kids like Barbara or like Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, those are beautiful names. And I, I think the ets are coming back. Like, I was really into Annette or Paulette. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, I think those are going to make a comeback. But then also I find, I don't know if you felt this way or, or other, other parents who are listening, but like suddenly when like the baby is about to arrive, I felt that names that had connotation for me, like the connotation suddenly fell away. And I was like, oh, that's just like – a beautiful name. Like maybe it's not really in style or whatever, but like the name Denise, that's a beautiful name. Oh, wow. like Carol with an E at the end. Like that's so beautiful. I was like, oh God, like now I, I'm only going to have one baby, but I was like, now there are all these names that, oh God, they're so gorgeous. Tell me this. Did you always know that you wanted to be a mom? I really didn't see myself as someone who was going to have children. Um, ever. I have a dedicated, dedicated mother and father. Um, and for some reason, like, you know, when you watch family videos or whatever, like when I watch our videos, it's like they're happy and our, you know, our family looks great. And I think I had a very happy childhood, mm -hmm. but I also think that I left my childhood with a big impression of the stress that children cause. I think that would be like sad, you know, um, for my mom to hear because also there was like, it's not just that. There were a lot of beautiful things as well. But I also think growing up in a culture that offered me like very little in terms of a feminist perspective, that part of my own internalized misogyny was a belief that really if I wanted to be an actor and a person who is female, 
that it would just not be possible for me to be a mother and an actor and that like I wanted to be an actor way, way more. And I just didn't want it. Totally. And first of all, those things aren't true. That That's not right. I've found it to be completely incorrect that that belief is just, it's just wrong and brutal and wrong. Um, but I, yeah, I just didn't want to. And I honestly didn't feel that with someone who like partners with men, I just was like, I don't think that they're going to get it. I don't think they're going to understand what it's going to be for me mm -hmm. to go through this. And I had no interest in being alone in that or depending on someone out. Like I just didn't want to have to go outside of my partnership for understanding. And yeah. now looking back on it, I'm like, you know, becoming a mother is the most important it's an understatement. It's the most important thing that has ever happened to me in my life. I I shudder to think of what I would be like if I didn't get to become Ida's mother because I, it really fast-tracked a lot of important work that I had to do for myself. But And maybe I could have gotten it done. But like – this is a delight that I almost denied myself because I was so... You like that I just shook my head no? That's so rude. That is what? so rude. Well, I shook my head no when you, were, when you were like, maybe I could have gotten it done. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But you know what? I'm I'm wrong. I'm wrong. There, I know people who have. I actually oh, know people yes. who didn't have children who have made remarkable, remarkable journeys in their life and things like that. But but this was your journey. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. was the one you picked. Yes, so what shifted? Meeting my my husband, Ben, um, changed a lot of that for me. Because first of all, he has a really good relationship with his parents and his mother especially. He just was, he's like really close with his parents. And I'm close with mine, but I had not met a man that had the type of closeness that he had. Like real joy, respect, and comfort that um, he expressed when he spoke about his family and um but that also like he was like a self-contained confident person you know there's a difference i think in straight men <laughs> like you know when people are like you don't generalize straight men it's like uh, I, I, I will yeah, I, I, I will have to because yeah. um there's like yeah. you know patriarchy has made things very very general on purpose and has like denied specificity yes. like <laughs> so so you know in my experience yeah like it's really hard to find like a person as confident as my husband is who also is like as open like the confidence hasn't come at a price for him um and anyway he really wanted to be a father he really also at the same time seemed attracted to me when I was at my most powerful. I never felt like I had to like crouch for him. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, well, if we had a family together, which almost felt like, well, if I could like climb Mount Everest, like it just felt like it could never even happen. And I, I just started to wonder like, what else have I been believing in that doesn't really suit me? And that like keeps me at such a small stature inside of myself. And like what makes me the most sad and the most sad are feelings of like I would really like to give more love and I, I think it's inappropriate and I can't find a way to give it to people. I, I find it in my work. But like what if I could actually feel safe, totally safe because I am filled with love and giving love and that's what I got when I met Ben and so that's why I wanted to have a baby and the inclination was right. Oh, 
I love this guy for you. <laughs> yeah, I him too. love him just opening up your brain and mind. And I, I just, I'm so freaking <laughs> happy that you guys met each other. I think a lot of times parenting is so, I think it's so hard regardless, yeah. but I think you have such a chance of, of it being so incredible if you're, I think so much is about the partner you choose to do it with. But it is so hard. Oh my <laughs> like god, it's, it's, it's so beautiful, hard. but it's it's I, I'm finding right now like it's not that we differ on like how to parent Ida. It's that we're so tired. We're so tired. Like that's it. That that is the thing. Like we are so so tired and then we're like bonkers in love with the baby to the point where like we're trying to we're like have to stop each other from waking her up every night and we like go to bed and we watch like an episode of barry and then we like look at pictures of ida on our phone look at fucking photos over i know it's it's disgusting it's really i know rebecca beninati actually said i do too rebecca was like you have to go on a date and like you're only allowed to talk about your child for five minutes and i'm like we literally have to set set timers. We're just we can't believe it. How was pregnancy for you? Um I had really bad morning sickness for the first trimester. It really really made me feel mentally like I I was going to fall apart until I took um my god what diclegis is what it's called. Yeah. Yep. I took it the pill at night. Um I didn't experience any side effects. I was like kind of afraid to take something, but um, you know, I don't know. Like my OB was like, "This is safe to take," and um, it really, really helped me. And then, you know, I felt like I had a pretty uneventful pregnancy. I was not one of those people that was like, "I'm glowing, Mama." Like I did not want to take pictures of myself. I don't know. Like I think I'm a pretty like. Um, sexual person or whatever like I like where my sex drives at I didn't I so I didn't it didn't decrease it didn't increase I kind of still felt like me in that area that's amazing Adam was like waiting Adam was like when is it gonna just <laughs> rain rain sex on my penis because we've had some <laughs> friends that were like could not be satiated while pregnant and like both of our pregnancies Adam was like well you know they say that if you're pregnant with a boy you're gonna have so much sex oh no if they say if you're pregnant with a girl you're gonna want to have sex all the fucking time neither was the case in mine I had really bad sciatica at the end and there are other things that like you, I didn't even think about, or they, they just don't seem like they'll be that bad, but, like, the constant urgency to pee. <laughs> like, my husband and I could not make it a quarter of the way around the Silver Lake Reservoir without me having to go into the bushes. I, like, I peed outside in Silver Lake. <laughs> oh, my God. I peed outside my entire pregnancy. Yeah. Like, oh, I yeah. just, I was like, I can't, I'm going to pee my pants. And I don't know, I, I think I... One of the things that I'm working on, but that pregnancy and motherhood have helped me with are my major control issues. <laughs> Fastest way to have to surrender and just you can't. You can't. Just fall back, babe. <laughs> What's so crazy about pregnancy and why I ask and, and labor and things like that is because no one knows how it's going to go. Yeah. Like your doctor doesn't even know how it's going to go. Nobody knows how your body's going to respond right. to it. You just are like... 
here we go. Like, no one knows how this is going to go, if it's going to end up in a C-section, if I'm going to labor for a long time, a short time, if I'm going to feel sick, if I'm going to feel well, if I'm going to love it, if I'm going to hate it, if I'm going to yeah. bring the baby home and feel connected or disconnected. Like, it's a fucking abyss. Yeah, you don't know. And everyone's shit is different. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth, host of Go Ask Allie. It's real, it's honest, and sometimes amusing comedian Amy Schumer. I would like to talk about our vaginas under any circumstances. Well, I mean, and this is no joke. I think like our vaginas have a lot to say. I think we should let them speak. We'll stay out of it and they'll just talk. Yes. Oh, I love him so much. Actor and activist Michael J. Fox. I told Mike once, I said, try my chocolate cake. It's going to make you jump on the table and take a shit. And he almost did. I almost did. I had to hold myself back. <laughs> Cooper did it for me. <laughs> realness, honesty, openness. You can look forward to more of everything Go Ask Allie. I'll be answering your questions, so keep them coming. Hi, Allie. Allie, love the podcast. Hi, Allie. Wanted to ask a question and get some help. Call or text me at 323-364-6356. Listen to Go Ask Allie every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Introducing Hashtag Matter a brand new eight-episode scripted podcast. 9-1-1 a little over 12 months ago, an 18-year-old African-American young man named Niles Hayes was driving a family friend's luxury vehicle when he was stopped for a routine traffic violation. Things escalate quickly. Ah! Unit 510 Nora, we have a 999 shooting in progress! Down. Within hours of the police stop, footage of the entire altercation gets posted online, and it goes viral. I'm Colleen Sanders, and we're here live from the Los Angeles Valley. Chase, on you see how they do us? This case presented a lot of challenges. You got the whole PD outside my building, ready to light the entire block. Any number of outcomes could have happened and different choices were made. I guess what I am struggling with. You struggle with it because you live in a different reality than we do. Listen to Hashtag Matter on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Gabrielle Collins, period drama nerd, and your behind-the-scenes guide to Bridgerton. On Bridgerton, the official podcast, we're learning how this fantasy world dipped in history came to life. Daphne, her costume design really is about the elegance of simplicity. It's just color and shape. We went old school and we got two scenic artists in who painted the backings for us by hand. These dukes are all like in their late 20s, early 30s. Almost all of them are unmarried, really good looking, and none of them have syphilis. Can you imagine when he looks into your eyes and then he dips you? We just heard this sort of ripping sound. Yep, I think there's just been a wardrobe malfunction. Listen to Bridgerton, the official podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your favorite shows. Hello, I'm Stacey Wilson Hunt, your host for Inventing Anna, the official podcast. From Shonda Rhimes and the creators at Shondaland, Inventing Anna tells the story of a young woman who charmed her way into the pocketbooks of New York's elite. Was she going to take off with that $20 million from the banks or was she going to pour it into this foundation? You know, people look at Anna and see what they want to see. 
On this podcast, you'll get VIP access to the real people who inspired the television series and to the actors and creatives like showrunner Shonda Rhimes, who brought them to life. We were working on the show while the trial was going on. I remember doing a dramatic reading of Todd's opening statement for the writer's room. Who is the fake heiress, Anna Delvey? Join us as we unravel the stories behind the story. Everything's true until it's not, basically, in Anna's world. Listen to Inventing Anna, the official podcast, every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How was labor? Were you scared? So let me tell you, giving birth, other than being taken and kept, giving birth is my biggest fear. When I got pregnant, I was like, I'm getting a C-section. I'm not interested in having a vaginal birth. I, you know, kind of was like, I feel like now we're all like, if you are a feminist, you have to have like a water birth at home. Otherwise, you're saying that like this or that, like the patriarchy made you do it. And I just kind of was like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I was so, so fucking scared. And then I... I realized that what I was the most scared of, of was the recovery. Like I was scared of getting an epidural, like a needle in my back. And I was afraid of stitches in my, you know, vagina and, and like perineum and having to pee and poop. And like just, I just like imagining it like tearing open again, like while I was at home. And it just felt like t- torture. I, I just, I was, I was so scared. Listen to this. People who are listening to this podcast who have never had a baby before, it's it's terrifying. It's so scary. But then it seemed like when I was actually, you know, thinking like like just I asked literally everyone that I knew who had had a baby, what would they prefer? A C-section or a vaginal birth even with tearing and and overwhelmingly um the people I talked to were like recovery from a vaginal birth is quicker. And like, it isn't the same as like breaking your leg. And one thing actually Rebecca said to me when she was asking me like what I was afraid of, I was like, you know, I was, I was telling her like the, the recovery in the moment. And she was like, you, you know, you're going into this. It's not like a car accident. You know, it, it, like while there will be surprises probably along the way, it's not like you thought you were just going to, you know, the, Whole Foods or whatever, the CVS, and like you just got T-boned. It's not that. And um, I was like so fucking scared. And then my due date came and I was like basically ready for my vagina to explode like at midnight on my due date. And it like, was, nothing happened. And I was like, ah, eh, okay. And then like day by day, I was like, where is it? Let's go, let's go. And I went to the doctor and she was like, you know, okay, so it's like you're a week past your due date. How are you feeling? And I was like, I feel, you know, fine, but my sciatica is so bad. I, it's like stopping me in my tracks. She was like giving me a sonogram, I guess. And she was like – Checking? Is that, yeah. She's like, is this, is this your sciatica? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, no, no, no. You're in labor. You're in labor. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess I've been in labor for a couple of days. I – oops. Didn't realize that. And – all of a sudden, wow. I was like, oh, right. You're not going to feel a pain that is an alien sensation. You're just most likely going to feel a magnification of something that has its origins in something you've already felt. Mm, that's a really interesting, cool way to put it. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, I I can't take this all on at once. It is minute by minute. It does come in waves. 
And I, I went to the hospital. Uh, the doctor was like, if you're not, if you're not at the hospital by 8 PM, like if you are, I went to labor at home for a little while and she was like, I want you there by eight. And if you're not, you know, if the contractions haven't like really progressed, we're going to give you Pitocin. And I got Pitocin and they said that it wasn't going to be like zero to a hundred, but it definitely was. It felt like a really, really loud sound was inside of my body (laughs) and it was hurting me really badly. Like it just felt sonic. It was like, this is... It was like elevator doors of pain just opening and shutting. Oh, and like, God, I remember. That is a gr- – God, you're – it's – I think it's amazing that you're you're so you're so um, great with words. You're so great at, at describing things because I – you're really like putting me back. I, I'm terrible with words, but I – I just, that is exactly how it feels. I mean, when a contraction comes on, it is like an elevator door of pain and then it closes and it's completely gone. And then you get this like one or two minute break and you're like, oh, that was crazy. And then you can feel it coming on again. And it's like a fucking freight train. It's so bad. So you labored at home for a while. And did, were you like, I want to get to the hospital when the doctor said, or were you like, I just want to get to the hospital so that like I'm around doctors. Does the hospital freak you out? Usually, like, if I'm visiting someone in a hospital, it makes me feel sad and I want to leave. For birth, I was like, I want to be in the hospital. I want, like, every fucking doctor in the world to know that I'm there. I want an epidural. I I was so focused on, like, I don't want to feel the tearing. I, I was, like, so scared about that. And then I was also frightened about, you know, getting an epidural too soon and making it, like, harder to dilate. Yeah. And my, my daughter um was – having some heartbeat issues. But then I kind of was like, you know what? If I do get a C-section, I'm not going to feel it. And I do know that and like, whatever. So I was just like, I was afraid of the epidural not working. But anyway, we labored at home. My husband owns the general store in our town in Massachusetts, and they were applying for a liquor license. So we were on a Zoom with the town select board. Get out of here. And I was like having contractions, like light contractions every 10 minutes. And um, we were like, wow, we're like scoring a liquor license and Woo-hoo! having a baby. And it was like really <laughs> funny and cool. And then then like I started to have the, uh, yeah. the bloody show and all of that. And we called Rebecca and she came over. And then just like right on time, we went to the hospital. Everything was like pretty gentle at that point. And then it just ramped up. And then I was in a cycle of intense, you know, Pitocin-induced contractions that, I mean, the only thing that got me through was that Rebecca did, did she do to you like that intense side squeezing where she would like squeeze your hips? It was incredible how much that helped. And my husband never looking away from me for a second. I was so afraid of being alone. And um, like, I don't even remember him peeing. I I really don't, you know. And then after like six or seven hours, I was still only a centimeter and a half. And I was like, I quit. No. And you were like expecting them to be like, I'm at least at six. I'm about it. Oh, your water, did your water break on its own or did they break it for you? It broke on its own after like a few hours when I was like in a crazy position. The bed was like made into a chair and I was like facing the back of the chair, like almost like I was like doing a lap dance on nobody. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I know someone who gave birth in that position. Yeah. I mean, I can understand it. And it, it like my water broke, but then it was like all of this meconium started coming out. You know, they, it can be really dangerous if the baby, like, releases that inside of you. And it was like – For those of you listening, it's like merconium is like the baby 
goes to the bathroom in the birth canal or just above it. And so now there's poop in your birth canal, which can be very dangerous if the baby starts breathing it in. And so things start to escalate in the stress department. I thought I'm fucked now in terms of a vaginal delivery and I'm going to have to have a C-section. And all of a sudden, so then I got the epidural, um, which I thought would be like the scariest thing that had ever happened to me. And it honestly, (laughs) it wasn't. It just wasn't. It just wasn't that bad. (laughs) Like like it hurt, but not not as bad as the contractions. What I was afraid of was that a contraction would start during it because I was like, there's no way I'll be able to sit still. You have to sit completely still. Um, They made it sound like it was going to take forever. I don't uh, remember it taking forever. It's like 20 minutes at the most. Uh, Yeah, it felt like three minutes to me. I'm sure it was 20 minutes, but like time does not make sense, I guess, like for me in the memory of my own giving birth. But then I just felt huge relief. I could still move my legs a little bit. I did not feel my contractions anymore. I started dilating really quickly. It still was, I don't know, like a good probably seven hours before I actually gave birth. Maybe less. I don't know. Um, you can see the contractions on the the monitor, but you're not feeling them. And I slept and I was like very chatty and I was like having Italian ice. and <laughs> Oh, delicious. <laughs> it just became like you. we do need to get this baby out because every time I would have a contraction, her heart rate would really go down. So, you know, mm. eventually like when we got to that pushing part, I had done a lot, a lot of like hypnobirthing meditations. Can you explain a little bit for those listening what that is and whether that helped you at all? I do think it helped me, but I don't think I put myself into self-hypnosis. But basically what it is, I followed the recordings of a doctor named Dr. Gowri Motha, M-O-T-H-A. She leads you through a visualization to help put you into self-hypnosis and you learn how to do that to yourself. And then... From week 20 on, every day I listen to this meditation that tells you exactly what happens in your body when you're giving birth. So while I don't think I was hypnotized, I had a very clear understanding of what was happening in my body, and I really liked that. I was aware that um, I'm, I'm worried that the baby won't come out of my vagina, but I'm not in physical pain anymore, and so I can be calm um, even though I'm worried, I actually can be calm if I focus, if I focus on, you know, that my partner's here, that Rebecca really knows what she's doing, that Suzanne, my doctor, knows what she's doing, like all of this, and and that, that that's working for me. And I so I think that that calmness came from that daily, like, repetition. Um, but I was really a push away from a C-section. I mean, really. And I did feel the tearing. And I literally asked the doctor after the baby was born if my if my clit ripped in half. And she was like, she <laughs> was like, Jenny, no. Like, it was like, it was cr- like, I just, I did feel that at the, at the, I just was so, the one thing I wish I could have chilled out about was like, I was like, I don't want to feel anything. I don't want to feel anything. And it was like, okay, well, you're giving birth. So like, you probably are going to feel a little something, you know? (laughs) And I did. Um, And I had, I didn't have like insane tearing, but I did have some, I don't know how many stitches I had, but um, 
I was a push away. They were like, this is your last chance. And we were using the suction. Oh my God, Jenny, what? All I remember was I was like, oh my God, this is exactly like Rebecca's class. Like it's exact, I'm in the same position. It's exactly the same. But, you know, I got into the hospital at eight. I feel like around midnight, Rebecca got there um, because they were like, we were kind of waiting. And and then they were like, if your doula doesn't come now, she's not going to be able to come in because they put a ban on having to support people because of COVID that night. So they were like, if you're if she doesn't come by midnight, she can't come in at all. Um, also, yeah, I was in a mask for the whole time. Ben couldn't go out to get food. Like we were like kind of locked in that room. And then I want to say around two or three in the morning, I got the epidural. And then the baby was born at six. 48 p.m. It felt like I was pushing for 20 minutes, but maybe actually I think it ended up that it was like quite a few hours. So the doctor says to you, we're going to get this suction thing, which for people who are listening, it's sort of like a little tube vacuum, right? That they put up there. It's like a plunger kind of. Explain it to me. She was crowning. I could not get her out of my vagina. And they put the, like the, the top of it on the baby's head and they literally kind of like pull on it. And Ben said that he, cause you know, like it's still so soft. He was like, oh my God. He said that he thought it was going to like rip the baby's head off. So, and Ida came out with like huge scabs. They were like, okay, this is the last, you're only allowed to, I think you're only allowed to do it four times. You you can only do it safely a certain amount of times before you have to stop and get a C-section. And um, the baby was starting to be in distress. So Suzanne, my doctor, was like, this is the last time. She put like all this like mineral oil on me. Rebecca said she like really got into my vagina. <laughs> um, I, I had to be like really quiet. Um, I, I was starting to be like really loud just out of frustration and then like just kind of channeled it all down and, and the doctor did literally every single thing she could do to pull Ida out and she did. When she finally came out, we saw that the cord was wrapped around not just her neck, but also her foot which was like so why she was in such respiratory distress and was in the NICU for two days. Um, I didn't even really get to hold her. Like they put her up on my chest and then they were like, we have to take her. And I felt like, oh my God, I'm, I'm being an asshole. I'm, I'm trying to hold the baby when the baby needs to go. This isn't about me. And Ben had to go with the baby mm-hmm. and I was there. And I, I was like genuinely so confused. And I still – think of it as a positive experience because I I just felt like the baby was going to be okay and that the birth was over. Yeah. And that you had done it. I had done it. And the, the placenta came out and it was like completely toxic. But I was planning on dehydrating it and ingesting it to help with hormone transfer. And the doctor was like, no. Nope. She was like, do not, do not do not eat this. It is It is completely, no, you absolutely, and she was like, this has to go. And I was like, okay. And then. <laughs> Hello, I'm Stacey Wilson-Hunt, your host for Inventing Anna, the official podcast. 
Podcast. From Shonda Rhimes and the creators at Shondaland, Inventing Anna tells the story of a young woman who charmed her way into the pocketbooks of New York's elite. Was she going to take off with that $20 million from the banks or was she going to pour it into this foundation? You know, people look at Anna and see what they want to see. On this podcast, you'll get VIP access to the real people who inspired the television series and to the actors and creatives like showrunner Shonda Rhimes, who brought them to life. We were working on the show while the trial was going on. I remember doing a dramatic reading of Todd's opening statement for the writer's room. Who is the fake heiress, Anna Delvey? Join us as we unravel the stories behind the story. Everything's true until it's not, basically, in Anna's world. Listen to Inventing Anna, the official podcast, every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Introducing Hashtag Matter, a brand new eight-episode scripted podcast. 9-1-1 A little over 12 months ago, an 18-year-old African-American young man named Niles Hayes was driving a family friend's luxury vehicle when he was stopped for a routine traffic violation. Things escalate quickly. No! Unit 510 Nora, we have a 999 shooting in progress. Officers down. Within hours of the police stop, footage of the entire altercation gets posted online, and it goes viral. I'm Colleen Sanders, and we're here live from the Los Angeles Valley. Chase, air on you see how they do us? This case One presented a lot of challenges. You got the whole PD outside my building, ready to light the entire block. Any number of outcomes could have happened and different choices were made. I guess what I am struggling with. You struggle with it because you live in a different reality than we do. Listen to Hashtag Matter on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth, host of Go Ask Allie. It's real, it's honest, and sometimes amusing. Comedian Amy Schumer. I would like to talk about our vaginas under any circumstances. Well, I mean, and this is no joke. I think like our vaginas have a lot to say. I think we should let them speak. We'll stay out of it and they'll just talk. Yes. Oh, I love him so much. Actor and activist Michael J. Fox. I told Mike once, I said, try my chocolate cake. It's going to make you jump on the table and take a sh. And he almost did. I almost did. I had to hold myself back. <laughs> Cooper did it for me. Realness, honesty, openness. You can look forward to more of everything Go Ask Allie. I'll be answering your questions, so keep them coming. Hi, Allie. Allie, love the podcast. Hi, Allie. Wanted to ask a question and get some help. Call or text me at 323-364-6356. Listen to Go Ask Allie every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Gabrielle Collins, period drama nerd, and your behind-the-scenes guide to Bridgerton. On Bridgerton, the official podcast, we're learning how this fantasy world dipped in history came to life. Daphne, her costume design really is about the elegance of simplicity. It's just color and shape. We went old school and we got two scenic artists in who painted the backings for us by hand. These dukes are all like in their late 20s, early 30s. Almost all of them are unmarried, really good looking, and none of them have syphilis. Can you imagine when he looks into your eyes and then he dips you? We just heard this sort of ripping sound. Yep, I think there's just been a wardrobe malfunction. Listen to Bridgerton, the official podcast. 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your favorite shows. So the baby gets rushed to the NICU. Is Ben coming back or is anyone telling you that she's okay, that that the respiratory thing is okay? Are you getting word? Are you just like, what's happening? Uh, Yeah, he was texting me. Um, so I knew he like sent a picture of them holding hands. I just felt like that it was going to be okay. It it was, I don't know why I thought it would be okay. Honestly, I I, I just, I think I needed to feel that way because I was like by myself and I, and he was with her and I just thought this is just going to have to work. I just remember like eating a turkey sandwich in the recovery. Hell yeah. I made the same choice. Those fucking cold cuts. Like give me a fucking (laughs) sub. Oh yeah, good. Yeah. So she's in the NICU for two days, but you're there. How was your postpartum? Did you feel so empowered? Did you feel terrified? Did you feel ready to take her home? Did you want to get out of there? I liked being there. Um, I liked being there because I felt pretty safe. Everything was so unlike anything I had ever experienced before. And even just peeing, I was like, okay, this is what it is. This is what I was afraid of. The thing I was afraid of happened. I have, I have tearing. I'm, I'm trying to pee. It's, it's okay. I had the dermaplast spray. Um, yeah. Numbs. And I was just like spraying that on there and icing it and like I just took care of it. I I really was like pretty obsessed with trying to minimize my pain. I I for a little while I took like a stronger pain med. Um as long as the doctor was like this is okay. It's not going to like go into your breast milk. Uh like at most like perhaps it could make the baby a little bit drowsy and like I I was like I guess that I'm fine with that as long as that's like as long as you're saying it's safe. Yeah, right. like it's okay if my baby's a little bit drowsy. Um, she's already sleeping all the time. And, I, you know, like I just was like, is that a big deal? And obviously for everyone it's different. Like some people are just like, they just do not want any intervention in any way. And I, I'm just not that person. Um, but I, I definitely did trust that it was safe. And, you know, we were like, Ben and I were in the recovery for two days we would visit Ida in the NICU. It kind of felt like she was like somebody that we met that we loved that we were like going to visit and then she was deciding on whether or not she wanted to live with us and like she decided yes. And like I felt kind of like she's so cool. Like Ben said, she's like the coolest person in the room. And <laughs> we felt like that and we were just like sleeping on a twin <laughs> oh, bed. I love that. We watched Paddington too and it was about to be Christmas and – we felt like the reports on Ida were just like she was getting stronger and stronger and that meant everything to us. You know, leaving the hospital feeling and looking kind of still pregnant. Like I knew that that would happen, but it was mm-hmm. sort of, it was hard. Like my feet didn't fit in my shoes. I bought like special shoes for myself. I was like, when I leave the hospital, I'm going to wear these like loafers that I got. And it was like, that is not happening. I was wearing my hospital slippers. <laughs> Yeah, you're like fat ass sausage feet. Oh my feet. god! No like, way, especially from the epidural. Your feet are so crazy. fucked up, so swollen, so swollen. I love that you were like not into your gorgeous pregnant body, and yet you were like my bloated ass epidural feet. <laughs> that don't fit into my loafers. I will take a picture of. 
Um, and your stomach, I mean, how weird is your stomach afterwards? It's so weird. It's so And I it's did just this like empty an empty bag. Sack. Yeah, it's like it's just weird. a big bag, like yeah. a Santa bag filled with no more presents, but like the memory of something. It's just like <laughs> it was so I just was like, oh my God. And I felt like I just have to figure out how to feed this baby. I just have to figure out how to do this. And it, again, is like, it's like an hour by hour. It was for me like an hour by hour existence. Not that I felt like at the end of this hour, I will surely die. But like, I just can't think farther than that. And um, I know that when my milk came in, that I went on that hormone roller coaster ride that felt like I had smoked the worst weed in the world. And I was like hyper paranoid. Were you paranoid that something was going to happen to her? Were you scared something was going to happen to her? I felt like I didn't exist. I felt like I was like a ghost. Like I was like, everyone's walking in here and they don't know that I'm dead. Like they like I'm dead and they don't know I'm still here. That's how it felt. And um, I was happy. <laughs> like I was, I you know, I wasn't like, this is a mistake. I just, I was like, I think I have to think about this as like a spiritual rebirth of myself. Um, and I have to depend on the goodness that I know as like sort of pillars for a temple that is like being built. I just kind of was like, I have to just like make, uh, eat food, uh, you know, like drink water and like I just. You're literally like building a new person. Like I think, I think what we're feeling is like the new channels of like DNA that are like forming in your brain or your heart or your spirit. Yeah. I mean, you're basically on drugs. Like your hormones are like drugs. But I mean, yeah, I think I phrased it in a way that makes it more appetizing now. But in the time, I was like, I don't fucking exist. Like, and like, like sort of cheaper things. Like, I'm not important. Like, do I even matter now that I had the baby? Is the baby just a present for everyone else? And I'm just like nothing now. Like, have I just been a vessel? Like all these weird, weird, like scare, fear-based things that – in the moment, it can be really scary. And then I also had this weird thing of like, I had signed on to do a movie 10 weeks after I had Ida. I remember hearing that in like the last yoga classes before I left the prenatal Zoom to go give birth to Vera. I remember you coming in being like, I just, like, you were like, I, I have this opportunity. And you knew you were on the precipice of a huge identity shift um, and not knowing what 10 weeks postpartum even looks like or feels like, let alone carrying a fucking rom-com. Or- I think I had everything in place and I was very, very diligent about that. Our friends did, they made a pod. We have like five besties plus Ben's brother and his wife. They all live nearby. They did come and visit us. That was incredible. Really nice. They like cleaned our house and made food. And um, and we had the night nurses were a pair. They were, they like, so they didn't get burnt out. They would do like, one would do three days a week and one would do four and they would switch off. And I did not get postpartum depression uh, at that point, luckily. And I just... I took it pretty seriously, the sort of first 40 days kind of deal after giving birth. I was I was like in bed a lot. I was learning my lines. 
After six weeks passed, I started to take walks around our neighborhood. Um, I had been so cruel to myself about my body in my 20s that at, you know, I was almost 39 when I had Ida and I just was like, I'm not going to like torture myself to be in whatever shape or whatever uh, for a job. If that's not in the cards for me, I just, I need to be reasonable. I do, I don't want to like look pregnant in this film, uh, you know, but I was like, I'm going to do what is reasonable for me. I'm happy with the way that that was, but there was a lot still, even though I was like, be very kind, be very kind of me being like, oh my God, everyone's going to think I'm like, you know, that I look bad. And that was, those feelings are horrible to have. Um, and I just really didn't want to lose focus on my baby. And, but I, I struggled with having a different body for sure. And now I look back and I'm like, that was a beautiful body. And um, I'm not great with change. You know, I'm like pretty bad in transition. I, it's not my strongest point and, and it was hard for me, but I, I started to work out with a trainer three times a week doing like teeny tiny things on a mat in my living room. I just, I felt like even though I still emotionally struggled that I didn't do any behaviors that ended up being unhealthy for me. Um, and right. that was good, you know, uh, that was good for me. Then I went and I did the film. I'm really glad I did it. I loved every fucking person on that movie. And my husband was like, I really think you should go, you should, because I think then we're going to be back in Massachusetts. And he had just bought the general store and he was like, you know, you're, you're going to want to remember that you can work and did work. So that was really good. And, but then I, I'll just say around seven months, uh, at, when Ida was seven months old, like I really started to feel depressed. Is that when you weaned? I decided to wean at that point. And I've gone through depression before, usually situational depression. Like, I don't know, like when I got fired from SNL, I became very depressed and despondent, but it felt mm -hmm. situational. This felt like I'm a little bit confused about my own self-worth and that doesn't make sense. I just like really don't feel like I'm here. I feel dissociated. I, I feel bad. Did you lose your connection to Ida? Did you feel connected to her or did you lose... Uh, feeling connected to her or was she like your safe space amidst those sort of darker feelings? I felt very connected to her, but I also felt like I'd never want to be away from the baby and also I need to take some time away from the baby. <laughs> you know, I just felt like a a difficult amb uh, ambivalence or like I just felt split. Like I need to just go take a walk, but I would be like afraid to leave her for a second. And yeah. We also have like a great nanny here. You know, like I had the ability to do that and I would just kind of like linger around. But mostly I think I just felt tied to the pump. Like I I just, for some reason, I was like obsessed with hating the pump and I just hated it. And I was like, I never want to see this fucking thing again. And I was like, I really hated that breast pump, even though it was so helpful to me at work. Um and I finally was like, I want to not see this shit again. I don't want it. I hate it. I hate the breast pump. It's not about the baby. It's not about my life. It's not even about me. I actually just fucking hate this breast pump. And I can't make enough milk um, unless I pump. Like I couldn't – like she wouldn't stay on my boob like long enough. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I felt a weird guilt about going to a formula. But I talked to a lactation a consultant – 
Yeah, and I like we went to we used Bobby formula. Um, mm-hmm. People love it. Yeah, it was great. I remember being so scared the first bottle I mixed with my own breast milk, and I was like, "Gonna ruin," and it was like nothing. It, it was fine. It was she loved it. I I also think what's not talked about a lot of women I talk to have some of their biggest emotional hormonal shifting happening around the weaning time. You know, there are alarms and red flags are up in the postpartum six-week window, which it should be. But no one gives a flying fuck about a woman who's weaning at five months, four months, six months, eight months, one year, two years. And there's a massive fall off, massive fall off there. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, an... I, I couldn't keep up with making the milk. I, I did feel really, really bad about that. And, but generally I look, yeah, I look back on that set of feelings now and I'm like, that was really hormonal. You know, like there are other things about motherhood that I'm like, oh my God, this like in immense shift occurred. And that's because of, you know, an acceleration of my personal work that I've been doing in therapy that then motherhood encouraged me to like take bigger risks about and like um, believe in like different truths. How do you feel now with the 14-month-old, the 15-month-old? How do you guys split the workload? How does your identity shift? How are you kind to yourself? Tell me what you've learned. I mean, just go off in that area. Well, we're 50-50 on the childcare, you know. Um, we, we, like, split it very evenly. Right now, Ben has his first book out, so we've been on, like, a book tour for him, and I am more primary parent in that time because, like, there's just more shit for him to do. But, like, you know, in a month, my Marcel movie comes out, and that's going to be a lot of travel for me, so he'll be taking, you know, the brunt. But we we try to stay in really clear communication about the childcare so that nobody feels like their work is – um, being disregarded because I think it's really, really important to both of us. We super identify with both being, you know, creative people and, and we need that to be happening. But I will say right now, what I am noticing the most is that when I am tired, I'm just a less capable person. I'm less capable of like functional disagreements. I'm just way more reactive. I am noticing this week, especially. <laughs> that I'm feeling a bunch of, like, really old feelings and reactions, like this, like, weird instinct that I have to, like, characterize people a certain way when I feel like I'm underserved as a person that make me feel bad, make me feel kind of negative about the world and about my options. And I am – I'm able to recognize that it is because of, like, supreme exhaustion. And I am – I am really tired. Oh, do you feel like you're so tired because you're balancing like your work-life balance? I know you're primary right now while Ben is on a book tour, but like, does it just feel like you're, you're so busy with work? What's your support system like? You have a full, do you have a full-time nanny? Our nanny comes from nine to two, basically. And she's like the best. I just, I feel like she's like, my nanny, you know, like she's just like a wonderful she is woman named she Jen. Is. She's the best. Like she, I really trust. She's a mother too. I I trust her instincts. But I I think my tiredness and Ben's too comes from just like not consistent sleep. Like you know, our baby wakes up at five every morning, 
She often wakes up a couple times during the night and we just haven't slept well for 14 months. You know, I feel so tired that I actually feel kind of like filthy with exhaustion. Like I, I cannot believe what I look like. That's how I feel. And maybe you, you might say like, no, 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 you know, you look fine. I'm like, I can't fucking believe. And it's not Ida's fault. And I, I really want to make that clear. Like, it's my own fault. My mom did a lot of like, I look horrible. And I always took it as like, I, my mom would quote unquote feel better or look better or feel better about herself if I were easier. And so I don't want Ida to ever feel that way. Right. It's not about Ida. Right. It's not about Ida. It's just about um, me. Like, I can't remember how to reach for the upkeep that I used to be involved with. And like, the other thing is like, it's not that important to me. But in the grand scheme of things of like what I want to do, you know, and and then there's this like odd other thing, which is like, I'm also living the happiest life I've ever lived. So it's, it's confusing. It's this like um, symphonic <laughs> clash where I'm like, I don't remember how to put on makeup. I'm trying to put on my eye makeup and somehow I'm 40 and like everything on my face is a slightly different shape. And so the like lines that I used to make on my face now make no sense. I look weird. I don't know how to do it the new way. And I'm like, it's the first time that I'm like, oh, I guess this is like why people do like stuff to their face. But I like, I'm, I have like a pretty staunch feeling or like a just a feeling about my own self that I'm like, I can't, can't, it's not for me. So I'm just like moisturizing and like praying. <laughs> when people ask me, like, what's your self-care? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I, and I have a full-time nanny. Like I have someone from eight to four, like, but it's this, it is this beautiful dance. Like you say, yeah. just like on one hand, it's because I don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. Something yeah. else is just wildly more important in my brain space. Yeah. Um, But on the other hand, you do feel like a fucking mess. Oh, yeah. I have heard from people, though, that this, what we're in right now, is the hardest that it will ever be. I mean, I think that the teenage years and things like that will be very hard and difficult in other ways. Yeah. But I have heard that the sleep, that it's it. the sleep deprivation Ugh. of these first five years is just impossible. I mean, it's just, I mean, they use sleep deprivation in war for torture. I mean, it is not. Oh my not God. Like this I know is. it. Like that's what everybody says. And like, it is reiterated for a reason. And actually like, I just started doing stand up again. And Ben said to me, I cannot believe that you are getting on stage and you're like doing all of that. And I know you haven't slept in 14 months. You are tired. And it's like so hard. And there are like for me once a day, I'm like, I can't stay awake. And it's usually around 3.30 and I'm just like, oh my God, like I love my life, but make my day end. Like make it be bedtime. I'm tired. I'm, I can't, I can't keep my eyes open. And then I kind of push through and like once it gets to like 4.15, I'm like, okay, let's go. It's fine. Your A24 feature length film um, adaptation of Marce Marcel the Shell with Shoes On Yes. You have full creative control. Do you think about Ida and motherhood when you make things now? Like how has your sort of creative artistic life shifted? 
Well, I mean, I certainly do think about Ida now. When when we made Marcel, um, Ida wasn't, you know, I wasn't pregnant even. Um, so that that's sort of, it's like from a different time, but it's still connected. I think now it's just like, you know, I just don't want to embarrass her. I don't want to speak about her without her consent. Um, so like, you know, in stand-up, it's like, I just want to talk about myself. I believe the the story that I tell about myself has to be true, but it can't be reckless. Now it is about her. Um, so in stand-up, I just like want to be respectful of her. And then I find myself just more interested in entertainment for children. Um, I really don't like a lot of the stuff that's out there for kids. And I'm in entertainment for children a lot. But I, <laughs> I, I'd like to make my own um, more and more and make like beauty for children. Oh my God. Can you please, like, for so. all of us, like, can you please <laughs> do that? I hope. Oh my gosh. I really, I, God, I just felt like that just come through your whole, like, being. That's crazy. Um, Jenny Slate, as we're ending this, is there any advice or people who are listening who might be on that precipice of this identity shift or having a baby, what would you say? I would say that the um, archetype of the quote-unquote chill mom is false and abusive. It is not your responsibility to be chill, that that is a weird, horrible request. If you're becoming a parent or if you're pregnant, it's a really good opportunity to take a look at what hurts you and what you need. It's a really cool opportunity as well to prove to yourself that care in the way that you fantasize about healthy care can be real and that you can be the person that starts it and that instead of being the baby this time, you'll be the parent. But it is, you know, an infinity loop there. The other thing is like, I don't know anything except for what I'm picking up every moment. And I think that's probably normal. And sometimes it is very hard. But that's what's the best. That's so yeah. great. Parenthood is, finish the sentence. Oh, uh, parenthood is a comforting, exhilarating slingshot ride into your own <laughs> identity. <laughs> Everyone needs Jenny Slate to write, illustrate, create children's books, children's shows. Jenny Slate, thank you so much for coming on Katie's Crib. I learned a ton. I think you are an incredible mother. God, I just think you're such a fucking cool, amazing <laughs> human to be um, on this journey alongside. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I want to hear from you. Let's chat. Questions, comments, concerns? Let me know. You can always find me at Katie's Crib at Shondaland.com. Katie's Crib is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Who is the fake heiress, Anna Dulby? And what does the story of this Instagram legend say about us? 
On Inventing Anna, the official podcast, you'll get exclusive access to the people who inspired the TV series and to the actors like Anna Klumsky, who brought them to life. This is backstory stuff for myself, but like she was driven by the idea that, well, if I just crack the code, they'll let me in. Listen to all of Inventing Anna, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While we all desperately ached for escapism, Bridgerton, the Shondaland smash on Netflix, came streaming along. Now we wait for season two. But in the meantime, you can hear how this show came to life with the cast, the production team, and the creators of Bridgerton. Listen to Bridgerton, the official podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your favorite shows. Hi, this is Allie Wentworth, host of Go Ask Allie. My listeners want more, so we are digging in. Comedian Amy Schumer. As far as cancel culture goes, I think that the people who are the most afraid and complaining about cancel culture are the ones who are in danger of being canceled and they need to take a look at themselves. I agree with you. You know, I'm not worried about it because I know my intentions and I know that I'm like open to evolving. Listen to Go Ask Allie every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jess Wiener, host of Dominant Stories, the podcast that helps us reclaim and rewrite the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Our feelings are like a compass. They tell us what direction to go in. And if we don't pay attention to them, it's like walking around with a faulty GPS. You have no idea where you're going. Our guests include composer Alex Lockamore of Hamilton, the incredible musician Sarah Bareilles, actor Rachel Bloom from My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and the celebrated poet Azure Antoinette. I didn't like my body in the first place. When I got the diagnosis, it just pissed me off even more. And I was like, you've always let me down. Hear from your favorite celebrities, storytellers, and experts about what's shaping them. Listen to Dominant Stories with me, Jess Wiener, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 